Hello and welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. In this episode, we are going to hear the second half of the conversation I had with Nathan Ross Reese, where the first half was in the previous episode. So if you haven't let, yet listened to that, go back and listen to that one first. And uh, this one picks up where we left off last time. Enjoy. <laughs> You briefly discussed that um, while we're working out today. I thought it was just, I thought it was a really bold move, but also thought it was a really intelligent move. And as far as the impact goes, there's a, there's a lot more people out there you can definitely help. So Yeah. Well, we started in 2016 in Australia, and that was when I was touring around. I was flying interstate pretty much like three weekends out of the month and teaching Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane, you know, Perth, et cetera. Never got to Tasmania. Um. Uh, and yeah, so but then we went online, but we we're still basically in Australia. And the last probably since 2021, for the last like two years, we've been really trying hard to break into the US market. Because if you're in the US and you think in Australia, you know, we, we've got a population of like 27, 28 million, something like that, less than half the population of California. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah. The US is like 360 million or something like that. So it's like 12 times. Australia's population, 14 times, 15 times, something like that. It's it's a lot more. It's way, way, it's an order of magnitude bigger. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, we've been working very hard on that the last couple of years. And the I don't know, the first couple of years really didn't, we struggled. And it was just a learning curve. You know, I think it's like you said, you've done this workshop 94 times. Right? And the 94th iteration is, I'm sure, way better than the first time you delivered it, you know. <laughs> Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, definitely. But the, as you get, as you do more versions of it, you find you've made it better in all these different ways. So now you're comparing 94 to like every version of it in the mm-hmm. past. So there's definitely, I think, ones in the past that I did in some aspects that were better than that one. Mm-hmm. So it's just more things to observe. But if you looked at it purely based on is 94 better than the first one, 100%. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, inevitably when you make changes – you, there are unintended consequences. You think, oh, I'm going to fix this aspect. It's like, oh, no, now that other thing is not as good as it was. Yeah. And we, you know, we work through that when we upgrade our courses constantly as well. But, you know, we had to go on a learning curve with expanding to the US. So we just basically took our same marketing we were doing in Australia and just did it in the US and it just did not work. Really? No, it did not Why? work. Um, what was the... To be honest, I honestly don't know. Right now, that and it sounds weird to say that because now our marketing in the US is working very well, right? So we're getting we're like more than sixty percent of our students currently are in the US. Um, uh, so we're marketing there. Work we we get like double the number of leads in the US than we get in Australia. So it's like you know it's working now for sure. But what's different? Uh, I honestly don't know. And it's 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 a case of we've spent so much effort and time and money trying to figure it out and just like trying so many different things that I think just over time we have just unconsciously got better at at marketing to a US audience. Um, and I honestly could not tell you one single thing that we're doing different now to what we did in 2021. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of things, but we must be doing something different. Like it can't be that we're doing the same and now all of a sudden they like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, and it might just be partly the passage of time, like they've just had enough exposure. You know, we've just 
the ads have been seen by enough people now and, and we've got enough of a reputation now, whatever. Uh, that I'm sure that's part of it. But I think, you know, maybe Platy's Elephants is part of it as well. But you did make an intentional shift to target the market. I remember you're saying mm-hmm. that you changed your course uh, to adapt it to the American. Yeah, well, we did, but surprisingly. So, right, so here's an example, right? Of what, of where like making it better made it worse, or, or at least didn't make it better. So in Australia, we we teach this uh, mat and reformer certification. Uh, so we don't teach Cadillac or chair or barrels or any of the other apparatus. Uh, and when we shifted to America, you know, everyone in America talks about the 450 hour comprehensive certification or 500 hour comprehensive certification. So we added. All of that other apparatus, the Cadillac, the chair, the barrels, we added all the extra hours and like made this massive additional <laughs> amount of content, you know, like took us like eight months, like of five people on the team, you know, wow. working on this thing, create this content. And it's like, so now we're offering this, right? So you can do the enroll in the Matt and Reformer certification or you can enroll in the comprehensive certification, which is 450 hours. It's all of the apparatus. It's all of the things. You get the anatomy training. It's all included in there. Uh, and I reckon that comprehensive certification represents about Two percent of our sales, really. Two percent, like maybe maybe four percent, if if I stretch it, right? It's, it's basically it's nothing. It's a blip, right? It's and this is in the US, right? So people in the US are like, oh, "Do you have comprehensive?" And we're like, "Yeah." And we're like, "They're like, okay, great. I won't take it. I just want to do the certificate, the mat work, reformers, <laughs> certification." So, so that's it. Like that is something. That's an example of okay. Yeah, we we made this conscious adjustment because we thought, "Oh, that's what the market." you know, once, but it turns out that wasn't correct. Now, some people have enrolled in it and enjoyed it and whatever, but it's like 95% of our students don't don't enroll in that program. Mm. Uh, and there's lots of other things we've done. Like we made like US-specific ads, US-specific landing pages. We've got a whole different US website. We've got, you know, like we've done immense, we've got different uh, email sequences for our US market. Like we've got, we've Doubled, doubled up on everything, right? We've got US-based salespeople. We've got US-based student success team, mm-hmm. US-based trainers, you know, like <laughs> we've, got, we've, oh. we've really worked hard to integrate ourselves in the US. And so on aggregate, all of that has worked, right? But I could not tell you which parts of it were the magic ingredients and which parts of it were just like, okay, what if we didn't double up on those email sequences? Would it have made any difference? I don't know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so now, even our Australian rep, our sales reps, right, when they talk to someone in the US, they enroll them. No problem, right? But like two years ago, two and a half years ago, we're calling people in the US from Australia. They wouldn't answer the phone. Then when we get them on the phone, they'd be like, oh, that sounds awesome. And do you want to enroll now? You know, why don't you want to enroll? Oh, it sounds awesome. I just don't want to enroll, you know. But now we have the same conversation with the same person. Well, it's, well we think it's the same conversation, mm. but they're like, okay, great. Where do I sign? You know, so, and it's just, I think we've just gained unconscious competence at doing this mm-hmm. and something culturally in the way that we're communicating obviously has changed and maybe the, you know, the words got out there, like I said before or whatever, but it's like, yeah, I'm not aware of what we're doing differently. So it, that's, that's just, we've just gotten good at it. We've got good at it. But so now we have that, we have that muscle, right? But if, but if I was advising you and you were saying like, oh, how do I expand out to the U.S.? I would say, look, you just do a lot of reps and then you get good at it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a universal life rule, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That'll work with everything, basically. 
Yeah, but it's pretty awesome. I mean, the potential to scale there is insane. Like, you can definitely take breath, like, in a completely different level. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we've been uh, – we have hit a new level, like, three of our best ever months in have been the last four, in the last four months, like, in terms of sales. Um, and we've been going since 2016, so, you know, we've had a lot of months. Uh, and, yeah, so we've had um, – yeah, we've had really good sales, uh, and I can see, I can see, you know, a ten million dollar year. I can see our first million dollar month, you know, in the at the end of the tunnel there. Oh, that's not cool. there yet, but yep. you know, um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but you know, I guess one thing I've one thing I'm I'm starting to learn is you you can't predict the future, <laughs> so. Uh, I'm just going to you know, try and enjoy the present and enjoy the process and, and take each day as it comes. But that's yeah, that's what that's where we're, what we're aiming towards. That's what that's what we're working towards. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think you can't control obviously the future, but you can control how you respond. You know, yeah. and I think all the adversity you've gone through, you probably become less reactive and more responsive to situations. You know, like you're able to like adapt uh, without feeling necessarily like you're lost or out of control. It's more like, okay, this is what we're going to do now and play with it rather than being super concerned. So that's obviously completely different scale and probably can't really compare it. But um, when I first started basically not being full-time employed as an instructor and not having any guaranteed income every week, it just changes the way you perceive everything. You know what I mean? Like uh, the highs are high and the lows are really, really low. It's like you don't really have like this evenness anymore. Um, and then you feel like you get some momentum and all of a sudden a different challenge comes and, yeah. you know, and you're like, fucking yeah. earth, you have to restart again. Yeah. Uh, um, but to keep on scaling that to like a different level like that with like, obviously you've got a lot more people that are, um, that you're supporting. Like how big is your team now? Oh, like about 28, 29. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like a lot of families, you know, that you're looking yeah. after. Yeah. So you've got the responsibility to make sure that they're okay. So that, you know, the responsibilities are scaling too with the, with the business, so... Right now, it's just me. I'm just looking after me. So, you know, if I make some mistakes and it doesn't work out, then it's just my fault. So I can just blame myself. But um, well, after you sign that lease, that'll change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I'm excited about the next level for me too. I'm excited about um, building teams of trainers and cultivating an awesome culture and expanding across Australia and internationally. Like, um, yeah, my vision of it is to simplify the entire process and and to empower the instructors. And to have that abundance mindset throughout, because inevitably, you know, the more you develop people, the more probably potential you give them to do things on their own. But I don't want to see that as a limitation. I just want to try and help everyone grow as much as they can. And I think if you provide enough opportunities for them within what you're offering, then there's no reason for them to, to want to go out elsewhere and make their own thing. But if they do, I think good on you. Like, uh, that's the mindset I want to come at from the start. Um, so no. It can be challenging and a lot of conversations I've had with lots of different people. Um, it's really easy for people to fall back into like a, a reactive uh, scarcity mindset where everyone's their enemy and, and trying to control the things which are out of control, you know, mm. that, you, that you can't control. And it really just generates like a sense of despair and bitterness and anger and resentment that's just completely unnecessary. So having seen all those different types of situations arise, um, it's just good now to – have the intention at least to 
try and not be like that. You know what I mean? Um, just to try and focus on developing people as much as possible and giving the best client experience possible. And and I'm sure that if you just keep on hitting the fundamental basics well, that everything naturally is going to grow well from that. So at least that'll be my focus. And then, yeah, Laura will definitely be taking on more of the, the business side of it. So I'd definitely like to learn more from her about that. So because I've never been a studio manager before, I've only ever focused on teaching and training trainers. So I'm so specifically one-eyed in that pursuit mm-hmm. that if I was, I'm sure if I was to open up a studio by myself, I'd figure it out. But there's going to be a huge learning curve and it's going to take me ages to, to pick up those skills. Where us combining together is going to be more like I just get to focus on the things that I love. So Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you on the fundamentals thing, and also agree with you on the on the like the evening out, the highs and lows, the emotional highs and lows. Because after a while, you just get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. You know, it's like okay, just another emergency, just another disaster. It's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll be right. Um, uh, but, but I also think that uh, you know my experience growing a business is that you go through kind of phases of, you know, certain size business. And as you get to each new phase, there's a, a sort of, you unlock a new level of challenges that didn't exist at the level before. Mm. Like at the start, when you're just starting out, and your challenge is like, okay, how do we get clients? You know, how do we, um, you know, build a, build a small team and, you know, develop like, you know, what's the way we do things around here and get a good name and all of that kind of stuff and develop a profitable business model so we have enough money coming in, et cetera. And then you get this, you know, you figure out all those challenges and then you get to a level where you're, maybe you're opening up your second or your third or your fourth studio and all of a sudden you you just physically can't be there, you know, like you have to let go control to other people. And it's not just people delivering the service, you might have to let go control of people teaching people to deliver the service because you just physically can't be across four or five or 10 or 20, whatever number, like there'll be a number where you can't do it, right? Yep. And, you know, they're in different time zones and, you know, 5,000 miles apart and it's like there's there's some point where you just won't be able to physically be there um, or even on Zoom, right? Uh, And you have to then, so then you have to put in place the right people and the right processes to you know, to to ensure that, well, you can never ensure, but to, you know, create the greatest opportunity for the for it to run the way you want it to run. Uh, and that's a whole other level of skill set that I had to learn. It's like I didn't know anything about anything when it came to, you know, I just hired my friends. Oh, you're a nice person. Great. Do you want to come work for me? You know? Yeah, bye. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that's good at the start. But once you've got a team of 25 people, it's like being a nice person isn't enough. You know, <laughs> you need people who know what they're doing. You need confidence, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and, and so and then at each level, there are new challenges. And then the things that you had mastered at the, at the earlier level, like marketing, for example, okay, so how to get enough clients in the door for a $2 million a year business. Well, I don't know how to do that standing on my head, right? If brief close tomorrow, I couldn't. I can be running a million dollar a year business in three months, you know. That's awesome. That is so good as the skills that it is, it is, it does feel good. <laughs> <laughs> but but the things that you do to get to a million dollars a year, like 
are not the same things that you do that to get from five million to ten million, because you just the scale is such that you just can't use the same methods, right? It's just like when you're teaching to a room of ten people, you can't use the same methods when you're teaching to fifty studios in twelve countries. You know, it's like you'd have to use different techniques. And so marketing has to change and the skills that you need as a marketer have to change. Instead of, you know, just getting on the phone to people and being very convincing, you have to like write good ads and you have to learn how to target those ads and you have to train people, train, not just on the phone to selling things, you have to like train people to sell or, you know, lead people who sell. And then you have to lead the person who leads the people who sell, you know. And so the skills keep you have, you know, just as soon as you master one skill and unlock the next level, it's going, great, okay, now you suck at the next thing and you have to, yep. <laughs> you have to learn that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a separation from uh, the front line, isn't it? It's like maintaining the quality to different skill to teach someone the skill that you had. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. One of the strategies that we're playing with at the moment is, because obviously we're ambitious and want to grow, um, I think most studios, when they start, they'll have like a studio and then they'll get a second studio. But Laura and I are playing with the idea of just opening two at the same time. Because like you're going to have to put in the same amount of effort to train everyone um, and the promotion is going to be the same. So it's just, you might as well just go for it, you know. Well, the only thing that's different is the risk profile because you've got a much bigger financial commitment. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, it's exciting to... <laughs> Well, let's say I'll see again in six months and see how it went. Yeah. Let's say you know if anyone can do it, you you two can because you've got, you know, like it's not like you've never done this before. I mean, Laura's been running a very successful studio for more than half a decade, so she's made all the mistakes it's possible to make, and so she knows how to walk around those potholes. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. So, I, yeah, I think. I mean, if you if you can guarantee the the classes are going to be quality, um, and the the pricing uh, of the classes is good for the business, um, and there's a community culture that you can cultivate, I really don't see the downside of having two at once because like it's basically just going to be um, a pretty good start, you know. Like I see myself teaching like the majority of classes initially because I want to. Obviously, like set a certain standard and then be like the the role model of that. And then as you bring in new people, they're just going to replicate what you do. Obviously, it's going to be financially good for the business that I pretty much won't be taking money out of it. It'll just be money coming in and I'll just be working. But I'm excited about that feeling of having ownership of it. Like, mm-hmm. is this something that is ours? You know, that that um, I'm sure we'll definitely adapt over time, but I already have like a clear vision of what I want people to get out of it. And I think that's the core thing. That's the core thing: being clear on what you what you do, what you deliver, you know, how you help people. Mm. So yeah, look out, rise reformers coming, everyone, um, come along, and yeah, I'll definitely um, invite you to the opening. Um, oh, can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, I just uh, again, I just feel grateful, and uh, I feel like this every time we catch up, it's been a a significant time period in which things have really changed. It's almost mm. like a, a step-by-step timeline of like a, a like development in tandem, really. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I have the same experience. I remember talking with you on a few different occasions, and the first time was when you were just at the start of your national tour. Like you were actually just like learning. You're in the learning phase, you know, and you were just going around and, and like co-teaching or sitting in or whatever, doing classes at a lot of places. 
And then I talk to you again and you've basically done like 140 or 150 or some ridiculous number of, you know, those visits. And you were like, okay, here's, here's what I've learned. And then, then the next step was like, oh, I want, I've got one day I want to go overseas. And then you went and did that and it was like, oh, what's next? And I remember we, we, we ran into each other in some country town somewhere. Um, yeah, that was Victoria. that was when I was leaving to start my national trip. Then, yeah. uh, where was that? I'm not sure. Uh, beyond a time, was somewhere in, in between Victoria and South Australia, I think. Um, yeah, and yeah, you were, and we talked about pricing, and you decided you were going to 10x your price of your workshop or something. <laughs> 10x, so basically, it would be 10x versus what it would be per hour as an instructor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah obviously, to make it viable. Um, and obviously to to provide value, like there's like there's no if I if I can't support myself, then there's no point of doing it at all. So, but a big part of that is that feeling of actually being worth that, mm. and there's such an incredible internal obstacle to overcome where you can literally say, yeah, I'm worth that, you know, I'm worth this much, uh, and have people agree with you, where the market mm. actually agrees with you. So, you know, you start off where you start, but as you get better, you definitely have to scale it. But I don't think that's a passive process. It has you have to drive it. You have to drive being worth more internally. Right. And that's gonna- and that comes and like we talked about when we were working out before about this. I think that comes from having undeniable proof that you are in fact worth it because you've gotten results for people and people running up and going, "Oh my God, you've changed my life." You know, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And when enough, when you have enough of those experiences, you start to actually believe that you are good at what you do, yep. and you think I'm touching too little here. Yeah, you do get that feeling. You actually get pissed off. You know, yeah. like, what the fuck? You know, and you I don't did all of that for eighty bucks. You don't you feel know? you don't actually don't feel that motivated to do it. You know, that, that's probably that's probably a really good internal indicator of where your pricing's at. If you're not that excited about it, um, or you don't really feel that interested in doing it, it's like then it's not worth enough, you know, your time's not worth enough. Uh, my, my trajectory went from, I think one of the first ever, um, first ever workshops that I taught weren't mine. Um, they were back when I was with a, a franchise and I was like, got 36 an hour for that, which is less than being an instructor, which is weird. I don't understand why that was that. When I f- started doing my own, uh, my first was like 50 an hour and then I went to 150 an hour, 250 an hour, 300 an hour. And now I'm at 5.50 now. And now I've got to separate it from the hourly rate. Um, and I think because I've built up a big enough following and I can basically just rent a premises and attract a whole bunch of people, then it's like way more lucrative now. Um, but that was impossible at the start because no one knows the other and they can't really care. Right. And if you don't have the proof, why would they be interested? Right. But now, like, for example, this weekend, you know, to have a workshop in Melbourne and to sell out tickets individually um, – it's uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. And they, those tickets are already sold out. And in fact, by the time people listen to this, that was that will be a week or two ago. So. Yeah, but that that idea. I mean, I think that's that's the kind of level that people can get to um, with enough consistency. I think I think the problem is when people are starting out with like trying to do workshops, they try to do that level first. They try to replicate like some kind of international profile person first and they just don't get the sales and they just don't get the opportunities to teach the workshop and that just really holds them back because if yeah. if I had to try to do that first like I wouldn't have had as many workshops and I wouldn't have made, made as much money and I wouldn't get as much experience so um, I think you can get to that level 
Um, but to start out trying to sell individual tickets and, and hire a space is, is probably the hardest way to. Yeah, I think there's a there's a trade off there between earning and learning, right? So yeah. at the start you you work to learn, and then as you get good, then you work to earn. Yeah. But you have to you have to, and it, it's it's that getting good which just comes from the reps, you know, comes from, not just reps, but it comes from reps, and then like you, like you said before, it's like basically you review. How did I do? Right, so you, you you go back and you think and you go, okay, you'll watch the recording or you list, read the feedback or whatever, and you go, okay, yeah, what can I do better? What can I do better? What do I need to keep doing? What do I need to do more of? What do I need to stop doing? And uh, you know, then over time, you just every time you just get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, and one day you go, Fuck, I'm really good at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm in, implementing now, which is a brand new thing, uh, which started in New Zealand, was. I got to the point where I'd done enough of these things where I had so much content. I was like, fuck, I need to get through it all. So I felt like I was rushing. But then I was like, am I actually not giving them the best experience now because there's too much information yeah. and I won't take yeah. a lot of it with them? Yeah. So now what I'm doing is I've changed my process that I'll deliver like a, a topic or a point, but then I'll like break it into like a small kind of activity to give them the chance to practice and articulate the thing we spoke about. So it's much more meaningful, like actual skills that you use in a, in a group class, they get to practice them there before we move on to the next topic. And then before we move on to the next topic, I'll summarise what we just did in like 30 seconds. Everyone will be like, yep, good. And then we go to the next thing. And like my my next challenge is retention. I want people to remember what we do. You know, so I want them to be able to teach other people that stuff. And a really cool thing that happened was one of the ladies that went to my workshop in New Zealand actually held her own workshop in her own studio with the right. content from the workshop. Right. So that was like a cool way. Best way to improve change and get them to teach it. Yeah. To teach it to each other in the workshop. Yeah. And um, so that's a bit of a revelation now mm. and making sure that the games and the activities that I give them are actually relevant and useful because it also comes down to who's in the room and the dynamic you have because um, usually what happens is if you've got a, a workshop in which people are individually paying to turn up, everyone's so engaged and motivated. But often if you go into a workshop where... The workplace is paid. Yeah, workplace is paid and they don't really care if they're there or not. Like if you give them opportunities to to do activities, they often just do their own thing and don't even you know, right. engage with it. So like playing with that initially and trying to figure out, okay, um, I just need to read the room a little bit. Um, but obviously I'm going to trust people. But I'm obviously going to say, well, look, if we've got a couple of people in the room that aren't really to 100% really want to be here, then I'm probably just going to get through the content a bit more and and give people less um, group activities because it just becomes very disruptive and um, then people try and teach other people random stuff that's nothing to do with what I'm talking right. about. You just get the most random situations. Like, I swear... Have, have, you, have you had to... You must have had to uh, develop skills in group you know, managing group dynamics and, you know, maintaining discipline and order within a group and keeping focus, you know, like when people just go off on a tangent or someone's meandering on about some question that's not really a question, it's just like a 10-minute life story or, you know, some someone's disruptive or, you know, whatever. Like, you must have had those experiences and so you oh, must yeah. have developed those skills yeah. of, of managing group. Uh, I think generally starting off in, in group fitness – in any form and dealing with groups of people and leading groups of people is a good place to start because it's the same skill sets. You know, you have to have confidence um, and you have to have clarity and um, 
the ability to deal with people that are disruptive, I think you can lead them um, in uh, into the behaviours that you want to see um, for, for a better choice of words. It's kind of like you teach people how to treat you. So if, if someone's being disruptive and it's their intention to get attention and distract people, um, then my intention is to be more engaging, you know, or I might... Um, I might be more intentional about when I ask open-ended questions or close-ended questions, you know, how much of feedback or do I want them to have? Like I think that's a similar skill in sales. Like the type of questions you ask is based on where you want the conversation to go. So um, conflict can kind of come in any random form and often people disagree with you on things you didn't anticipate you could be disagreed on about. Um but not reacting emotionally is obviously a good thing to do. Um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily raise my voice or be upset about that. But what I want to do is just be really clear about what are the messages that I have. Yeah. So I just yeah. articulate it in a strong way. I think that, and I 100% agree with you on that. And, and I get you know, virtually no pushback these days when I'm delivering lectures and whatever because people are paying thousands of dollars to learn this stuff. So it's like they all want to be there. Mm. Um, but I've had lots of experience. Like now I've delivered lots of you know, free live workshops and things like that where people aren't paying to be there. <laughs> so And they don't have a history of like, you know, knowing the context or whatever of where I'm coming from. So, you know, a lot of people do disagree. And I think 100% keeping calm and not not being emotional about it and simply being clear on what your message is. Mm. And if someone says, oh, but, you know, blah, 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 and blah, and blah, um, you know, just being like you have, if you know your content well enough that you can express it clearly and simply and concisely and saying, well, what I meant to say was this, bam, bam, bam. You know, which specific part of that do you have a disagreement with? You know, and I find like 99 times out of 100, it's it's like they're like, oh, now I didn't understand what you meant or that makes sense now or whatever. Or you can just take it offline to the end of the session and go, hey, let's talk about this at the end uh, if you still got questions. You know, what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to communicate here is this, this, and this. If you want to talk about this further, let's let's pick this up after the end of the of the workshop. Yeah, I mean, you have to stay centered yeah. and on purpose, and I think it's a, the same mindset as anything else. Like you embrace the struggle sometimes, and um, it just forces you to be better. In 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 like in that way, it's actually almost you can say thank you yeah. because you force me to be yeah. better yeah. articulating what yeah. I'm trying to say. You force yeah. me to be better at being patient and more calm. Um, if you didn't have that resistance, then you probably wouldn't get as good as what you're. Right. Yeah, right. So, I think yeah. Being, I think being a an effective teacher, being patient is like prerequisite number one. Like you have to, because people have to go through a journey of, of, you know, letting go of certain ways of thinking and coming to terms with new ideas and concepts, and and that just takes time. You can't just flip a switch in your brain and go from. You know, it's not like Keanu Reeves, I know Kung Fu now all of a sudden. It's like you have to... Downward. Yeah, yeah. yeah, people have to go through a journey yeah. 
And you have to, and it's like when you're teaching this for the thousandth time, it's like you've already been on that journey and you're already at the destination, <laughs> right? Yeah. You can't just go, hey, here I am, come here. It's like, no, no, we have to take the first step together. And then the, you have to walk back to the start and go with them all the way through. And sometimes they get to the middle and they're like, oh, the, I can't jump over this fence here. It's too, you know, like, so you have you have to go through that journey with them. And I think, so I think that patience, and it, and I think my, my opinion is, in order to do that, it can't be something that you're putting up with. It has to be something you enjoy, like you mm. you you derive satisfaction from accompanying people on that journey, and and being partnering with them as they go. Oh, now I understand this new concept. Like that has to be exciting for you, yep. rather than when they you know ask a question like, oh, this is the ten thousandth time I've had this. Yeah, <laughs> question. Like you can't have that reaction because it's like it's going to break you down over time and you, you're going to hate what you do. So you have to inherently derive satisfaction from that. I think if you are teaching content which is your own, then you don't have a problem with it because mm. the the time and effort it came out that took to come up with these ideas, um, they obviously meaningful meaningful for you to have them in the first place so that the actual opportunity to teach someone else the, the strategies and the things that you believe is like an, it's an amazing feeling that people actually want yeah. to know that. So, yeah. And I also am very aware that a lot of the places I'm going have never heard anything like this before. So it's inevitable people are going to have a different opinion because every mentor they've ever had had told them differently. Yeah. So, like, I'm well aware of that. So in advance, yeah, in my too. mindset, it's kind of prepared. Like, I'm prepared for people to disagree with me and that's okay. No, not everybody has to agree with me. Like, that's not my mission. Yeah. I'm not here to convert people. I'm just here to say, if you want to teach effective group performer classes, these are strategies which work really well, you know, and this is why. And um, and over time, I, I, f I think I've found that I've just found basically the way to provide the same message with less words. That's pretty mm -hmm. much what's happened. Mm. It's interesting what you say about not everyone agreeing with you and, you know, you're not, you know, that's like, that's that's I think so apt. I think the the, top, the only time I get a little bit of pushback, and there's not much pushback, is on social media when I post. Like recently, I posted something about ab curls being safe in pregnancy, and so so what I said was kind of what you said there. It's like okay, if you want to teach an effective group reformer class, here are some strategies that really work, mm. right? That's not saying like everyone. That's not the same thing as saying everyone has to teach this way, yeah, right. <laughs> and so when I said like okay, yeah. Ab, I quoted this one particular scientific study and said, okay, ab curls do not make diastasis worse. So they're safe. Right? Oh, but what if they're uncomfortable and I don't want to do them? It's like, well, fine, don't do them. You know, like I'm not saying you have to do them. I'm just saying they're not going to make your diastasis worse. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. but people kind of confuse saying like, okay, this, this concept is useful in this situation with saying you should always do this under all circumstances, and if you don't agree with me, you're a bad person. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's so weird. Everything's so bipolar like that. Like either you're with it or against it. No, no it's not like that. It's like there's different ideas that potentially are useful in certain situations, and other ones they're not. It's like it's more of a gradient that everyone has, like the autonomy and the, the critical thinking to make decisions on their own. Like that's what it's about. I just want to give people that feeling that they've got new information and they get to try it and see it for themselves, you know, and um, that, yeah, that anyone that doesn't agree with me isn't 
all of a sudden against me or whatever. I think it's just such an absurd thought process to think that the world's so black and white like that and that there's people that are with you and against you. No, I think it's just there's so many different ideas out there and there's so many different, there's so much information. Um, it's good to absorb new information and see if it works or not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just that that emotional reaction to the things that are completely different um, automatically being neg- negative, I don't think that really helps anyone. Like it's, there's no benefit to that. So uh, I always find it a little bit bizarre sometimes if people do have such a strong emotional response. But, you know, another thing is you never know what's actually happened to them. Yeah. But even that day, a lot of the emotions I might be charged with have nothing to do with this topic at all. Yeah. So that, if, you know, there's happen to be present within them and this is the moment they come out. So that kind of like awareness that, um, that you don't have all the information, you don't know exactly what's going on uh, for this person, probably gives a, a little bit more empathy too. So, yeah. yeah. And also I think, you know, the context where you're teaching in a workshop where people have paid to be there is different to when I post something on social media. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm doing that for free and you don't have to follow me. If you don't like the post, don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, whereas, you know, if someone's paid you a few hundred dollars to do a workshop, it's like I think you owe them an, an answer if they have a question. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. There's room and there's time for that. I mean, that's the point I think is as much as I said before that obviously it's uncomfortable to have people disagree with you, it's super beneficial to have those dialogues though because yeah. that's when you actually get to talk through these things and everyone gets a better understanding from the different points of you coming together, you know. I think um, – it's been fundamental in my development that I had opportunities to talk to people that didn't agree with me. So, um, like putting yourself in the echo chamber and like hiding from anyone who has a different opinion than you won't help you necessarily improve your understanding or really grow. I think it's good to open yourself up to to try and articulate things and to ex- to try and explain why you believe a certain thing. And it's like okay for people not to agree with you and. I think it's more like a we're all learning together, really. Uh, well, I would say, Alan, I think that's a I think that's a, a very important thing where you just said there's to try and explain why you believe a certain thing, and uh, if you can't explain, well, maybe you're just emotionally attached to that idea, and you don't actually have a good reason yeah. for believing that thing. Oh, that's such <laughs> a thing. That's such a thing because, like, often if you ask people why they did that. Their response is, I don't know, that's just how I've seen it done, you know? Yeah. And, and that's fine. Like, yeah. you know, we all, like, we all, we can't, like, all learn everything about everything. We have to copy other people. You know, that's a normal way of humans behave. Yep. But, you know, if you hold a view and you're saying, oh, no, you're wrong and this is the way it is, and then someone says, like, okay, so can you explain why it's that way and why it's important for me to do it this way? And you're like, ah, oh, well, I can't really explain it, but I just know it's important. Was to like, well, yeah, you should. That should be t- the time that you reevaluate. Okay, why do I hold this belief? Mm. You know, I need to learn more about this because I plainly hold this belief. I, my my belief is stronger than the evidence for the belief that I currently have. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. When I'm saying it actually, but so, that takes a lot of that takes a lot of like uh, awareness and which is hard to come by when people are emotionally charged like that. But I think it's it's very it's a good thing you said there as a as a way to evaluate yourself. Do I, you know, as an example, if I disagree with this, 
can articulate exactly why I disagree with it, yeah. you know, and is my disagreement with it stronger than actually the information I have about it, you know? Well, when I'm, when I'm posting on social media now, because I have received a lot of criticism, and it's, when I say criticism, I mean like, you know, constructive intellectual dialogue about stuff, uh, it really has been very valuable to me because now whenever I'm putting together a post, I'm always thinking like, okay, what if someone says, okay, that's bullshit, why is it true? I have to have a good answer, mm-hmm. right? And so I, it really, you know, causes me to sort of hold back from saying some, anything that I don't feel very confident. I can go, oh, no, I know this is true because of this reason, you know. And if I can't clearly say that, oh, here's this meta-analysis or, you know, whatever, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to write it in the in the post because, like, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, shit, you got a good point. <laughs> <laughs> You're already kind of considering what the outcome might be, yeah. 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 No, it's a good way to be because you – Kind of consider it a bit of the message that you have, and and your own opinion of why it's that it's that way, but also being open to the idea of changing your own mind too. I think yeah. that's important um, because if you're always assessing your information, then you're going to have those moments within yourself. You're like, hang on a second, what? Yeah, I think actually it's the mark of a considered mind who has that that somebody that has been through this process of thinking about your own thinking and thinking about, okay, what are the, what is the evidence I have for this belief that I hold, you know, and why is it important that everyone does it this way? Um, that the, the mark of that is making, I guess what I would call hedged or conditional or qualified statements. Like when you said before, you know, if you want to teach effective group reformer classes, here are some strategies that work well, mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of ifs in that. There's like, okay, if you want to do this very specific thing, right, here's one way that you can do it. <laughs> That's a very qualified statement. It's, it's qualified in its scope, right? It's, it's only about if you want to teach effective group reformer classes, mm. right? If you want to teach effective group mat work, no, can't help you. Want to teach ineffective group reformer, can't help you. Yeah. Want to teach one-on-one, can't help you, right? Effective group reformer, right? And here's here's one set of strategies that can that can be effective for you, right? And so it's like, okay, this is not the only way you could do it. There are other ways, right? But this is just one way that works. So so I think making a qualified statement like that, rather than just going, here's the way you should teach, yeah, <laughs> blanket statement, yeah, right. Um, that to me is the mark of somebody who's sort of been through that crucible process of people going, well, I think that's bullshit. Why do you believe that? And you have to think about it. Hey, why is why well, I, I believe that? that? <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you come to this, you refine, you think to the point where you're like, well, in this certain circumstance, <laughs> I've experienced that this almost invariably works, right, to achieve this very particular result, right. Yeah. So therefore, my statement is. In this circumstance, if you want to achieve this particular result, here's one way that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, also having the ability to test these theories out because um, my strategy was to just to take all these ideas, but to try them in, in all different places. You know, to try them in different states and different studios with different people that I'd never met. That was like the kind of the test. You know, are these concepts effective everywhere? If this, if they are, why? like the first principle idea of distilling it down to those those points. 
and there's a lot of failure in that process. There's yeah. a lot of ideas that didn't make it. You yeah. know, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that I used to say that I don't actually agree with now. You yeah. know, and that's just a part of the process of distilling it and finding actually really why why does right. it work. And making all those mistakes is what enables you to when somebody says, "Oh no, we should do it X, Y, and Z." Right? You can say, "Ah, well, what happens when you do X, Y, and Z?" Is this right, and yeah. here's why that's not going to work, right? Because yeah. I'm I've done that. <laughs> right? Yeah, made every mistake you could think of, <laughs> and I can't remember again who said it. But there was somebody uh, the quote that says basically, an expert is somebody who's made every mistake it's possible to make in a very narrow field. Right? <laughs> Definitely, and they're intentionally choosing to do things that they know will work. Right. That's like that. I think that's a definition you could put on a master trainer too. They tried all the different cues and the different strategies, but they only keep the things that are effective, you know. Like to to intentionally use things that aren't effective. And my version of effective is is this working for every single human being in this class right now? If I'm in, intentionally doing things that aren't effective, why am I there? Who am I doing it for? You know, like that that's the question I have to ask myself sometimes. Like that's the reason I believe in like the effectiveness as a as a measure so much, because if if I know that this exercise isn't achievable for 30% of the room, why am I teaching it? Right. Or even if you don't know that it is achievable, like you might not know that it's not achievable, but you might just not be sure that it's achievable, in which case same thing applies in my view. It's like, well, why are you teaching that exercise if you're not sure if everyone's going to be able to do it? Yeah. Because you know? like, ultimately, I think in the position of an instructor, you're the leader, and the job of the leader is to make sure everyone gets it. Everyone, it's almost like... um. The idea of a with a wolf pack, the leader's actually at the back of the pack, make sure no one gets left behind, that everyone turns up to yeah. the destination. The idea of the instructor is to make sure everyone in the room can do every exercise, that everyone gets a great experience, you know, and not to to let people um, be put in positions of things that aren't achievable. Um, and a great experience being defined by has success, you know, experiences positive emotions, connection. Get stronger. Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Challenge to their level. Uh, yeah. The to me, that's like the ultimate, and it's the it's a, the feeling of fulfillment you get when you can consistently get that outcome. Um, it's just the best, and you don't have to rely on the like the, the the trends and the fads to to try and be different or unique. You just stick to the solid principles of helping people. You know, and the, the feeling and the results that you get are just significant enough that you would do it for free, honestly, because you just like you get so much positive feedback from people that just love um, the outcomes that it's worth it. It's just worth it. Yeah, I have to agree on the. I mean, I did a post yesterday, I think, on. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of us are, are sort of distracted by bells and whistles, and without enough focus on the basics. And I think when it comes to Pilates teaching, the bells and whistles are things like 101 creative exercise variations in every session um, or, you know, lots and lots of prompts, um, props for the sake of, inter- you know, keeping it interesting or whatever. Uh, and the basics are, you know, su- repeating simple movements with sufficient load and range of motion, mm-hmm. you know, connection, motivation and behaviour change, you know, psychology, and a basic understanding of exercise science so you know which bits you're working in. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's no such thing as being too good at those things. No. Right? 
no. That's that, that's like the yeah. That's the that's the real stuff. That's the people that are really impressed by that. Like uh, like yeah. They, I think we we spoke about it before, but like the what people really remember about the class, they don't remember the movements. They just remember how they felt. And right. if you're really good at those things you just mentioned, they feel good. They feel right. really good right. every time. Because you're considering everything you do. Right. You're not going to remember 10 years later, oh, Nathan, you know, used that mini stability ball that one time. It was so amazing, right? That, that you know, it was such a creative, you know, thing where I was balanced on top of the reformer box with one foot in a strap and a stability ball on my head and fitness circle between my knees and whatever. Yeah, they're not going to remember that. What they are going to remember is, holy crap, I've never been as strong in my whole life as the time I was working out with Nathan. And I felt so empowered yeah. and I felt so connected and... Um, so motivated and all those feelings transitioned me in my life to like a new level of myself, you know. You take that version of you with you everywhere. So it's like you're just really building people up. Um, and, yeah, that to me that's the, the the exciting part that you can actually have an impact on someone's life like that, that they can come into your studio and through the contact that you have with them, everything in your life can improve because fitness is the, the cornerstone of your life. Like if you don't have health, you don't have anything. I mean, I have to say, Joseph Pwadi said it best, you know, physical fitness is the first requisite of happiness. Yeah. Like I'm 100% yeah. <laughs> agree with that. Yeah, so that's what it's about. I think everyone just double down on those things, the fundamentals, the things that matter, and don't worry too much about the fancy stuff and um, maybe create some performance metrics on, on those things. Like does do you know everyone's name, you know? That's objective. You can yeah. measure that. If you don't, then you can look to try and achieve it. You know, another thing that's subjective: can every single person in the room do this exercise from the first variation? Because if they can't, then it's not the right position right. to start in. And then some people get to keep doing that variation, and other people get to progress to a harder variation. Right? Yep. So it's not like everyone has to keep doing that easier variation, but you have to start somewhere. That everyone can do. That it. Everyone can do it. Yeah, that's just so important. Otherwise, you're just excluding people. Basically, right. well, I, you know, you don't have to start. But if you want to teach effective group reformer sessions. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> That's uh, the thing that you need to be considering, yeah, if you want to tick that box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Raf. Um, thank you for your time, mate. Um, and I'm excited to keep seeing your journey, you know, keep on growing the new challenges and – um, looking forward to trying some of those things we did today in my own training. But, um, yeah, my, for me now, next six weeks, I'm up the East Coast, mainly Sydney and Queensland, and then randomly going to Santiago and Chile. Had a workshop there too. And then, um, yeah, and then at the same time, looking to start the studio. So, um, so you're going you know, to stop touring if you're starting a business. You have to stop touring. Yeah, well, I think the the benefit of having the, the studio will be that I'll still be able to run workshops in like an off-peak time mm-hmm. um, there, you know. So I'll be able to have like basically invite people to come in and, and do those workshops there. But uh, I don't think I'll stop touring indefinitely. I think I'll just have to be more um, specific about when. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I don't want to be glued there 100% of the time, but I also understand that to get it going, you need to invest a little time and energy. So I'm actually really excited to do that now, um, to that new challenge to build. Because that's, that's the, the cool thing about travelling is, yeah, it's cool you get to travel around, but there's nothing that you build with it. Like yeah. you might build like a little bit more of a following and awareness, but those things can 
can like come and go. But if you're building like a community in one location, you can really build that. You know, you can really grow that. So having something more permanent that I'm like located with, I think that's going to be cool. That is a different, like a different thing to grow. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. Thanks, mate. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and yeah, my challenge to you in your next class is um, just to observe. So every time you teach an exercise, just take a moment. Can everyone do this? And if they can't, then it's good feedback. Um, and every time you teach an, an exercise, just to pause and go, did everyone do this the way I intended it? Because that's the only feedback you really need is just what's happening right now. So, right. And then you can make really good decisions in the future based on that information because you can tell, oh, there's a certain amount of people that can't do that. In the future, I'll make better decisions. And you automatically become more effective straight away just because of the feedback you're getting from yourself. So, yeah, the hardest thing, though, is to pause because we always feel like we have to talk all the time. But just try and pause and take a vantage point and just watch. Ten seconds, just watch what's happening. And then the next thing you say is going to be based on what you see. And then it just works really well. Great advice. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Bowden. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.